Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. A team of scientists at Oregon State University was recently awarded a $4 million federal grant. They will lead a study into a disease that's threatening honeybees. It's called foul brood. It targets the larvae within a honeybee colony, killing them within a few days. The disease isn't new, but it appears to be getting worse. Andoni Melithopoulos joins us to talk about this. He is an associate professor in the Department of Horticulture at OSU and the co-principal investigator of this study. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dave. So, uh, so great to be here. What is foul brood disease? Foul brood disease is a disease of honeybees that goes all the way back. It's likely been associated with honeybees for as long back as honeybees have been honeybees. Um, but in 1912, one, a USDA scientist found out that there was a multiple kinds of, they call them foul broods, and one was designated American foul brood, the other European. And this European foul brood is the one that we're really concerned about today. Why is that? You know, it has always been around. I remember when I was a young researcher, uh, pop, you know, seeing it come into a colony and it kind of comes and goes and, it, you know, it was a problem, but not such a big problem. And maybe about five or 10 years ago, um, throughout uh, the Pacific Northwest and Michigan and Canada, researchers started to notice that this disease was not going away. It would hang around for uh, quite a bit longer than what we were used to in the past and it would kill a lot of um, the honeybee larva, and the colony wouldn't really recover after that. Huh. How does a beekeeper initially know there's a problem? You can see it. First of all, it's called foul brood for a reason. It's a stinky, rotting honeybee larva. So it's, you know, it's there. Hmm. It also has a kind of distinctive look. A lot of the things that kill honeybees, there's all sorts of bacteria uh, and fungi, but this one in particular kills it just as it's going from laying in a C shape as a honeybee larva starts off to laying flat on the cell before she spins a cocoon. And so it dies in a kind of corkscrew uh, look in the cell. It's really distinctive. Uh, beekeepers, when they see it, they know it. And so, you know, as time has progressed, beekeepers are seeing a lot more of this in their colonies, uh, uh, specifically um, in the springtime. And just to be clear, foul brood is different from colony collapse disorder, something that we started hearing a lot about in the early 2000s? It is. Uh, colony collapse disorder is, um, in some ways, people don't see it, uh, the symptoms um, of it, um, where a lot of the adult bees take off and they leave the um, the developing bees kind of untended. This is a different, um, and people don't see that symptom anymore, uh, but we still have other problems, and this one has really replaced it as one of the problems that beekeepers are really worried about. I just want to make sure, I mean, that does seem uh, like good news. So you're, so you're saying colony collapse disorder is is not happening now to the extent that it was, say, in 2005 or, or, or 2015? Yes, let the word go out. Uh, colony collapse disorder, fortunately, is something in the past, but there's always new problems, and this one has proven to be really stubborn. Hmm. And worsening, it seems. Yeah. What are the big questions that you hope to answer with this new federal grant? 
You know, this disease seems to always be in colonies. You can detect it at uh, at low levels throughout the year. The thing we don't know is what what caused it to simmer over and kind of ignite into a, a disease that takes a colony down. And clearly, this is, you know, a complicated, well, not clearly, it is a complicated set of problems. You know, one might think, oh, it's just the conditions of, you know, that the colonies are going through. But, you know, the beekeepers have, you know, really identified some areas where the problem gets worse. But it's also uh, uh, coupled on with new research that shows that there are new strains of the bacteria. And we have this fuzzy idea of these new strains that are sort of marching in, but we don't have a real inventory of them, nor do we understand their, you know, the function of these different strains. And on top of it, there's this, you know, you ask a beekeeper about it and you go to the traditional literature, they say this disease is associated with nutrition. And there's this question of like, is that ignition point that the bees aren't eating right? Is there a kind of nutritional dimension to it? There's a whole lot of pieces. There's a lot of ideas of why this disease suddenly erupts. But nobody seems to really have a, uh, a kind of concrete way. And nobody can predict it. You know, some years we have terrible outbreaks of this. A couple of years ago, beekeepers got really hammered. And some years it's light. So trying to figure out how this disease actually is spreading in the colony, what causes it to uh, erupt into, a, an, into an epidemic, and uh, what points in this disease cycle can we intervene and maybe keep these peaks from, from happening? That's the focus of this research. Why do you think there are so many questions still, given that this has been, as you said, uh, in most likely in honeybee colonies for, for seemingly ever, and that humans have been aware of it for centuries? It is. I've been working with honeybee diseases for uh, since the uh, 1990s. This has been the one that nobody can figure out. Some of the other honeybee diseases, um, you know, there's some complications with them, but they don't nearly have the multidimensional aspect of this disease. And I think one of the reasons is that this disease is um, has such um, a touch point to the environment, to the way that the colonies are being managed. Um, it, it really has triggers that we don't understand. And the real focus of this research is to finally, for the first time in, you know, 100 years, really uh, pull back the veil and see what's causing this disease and what drives it. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about fowl brood, European fowl brood to be specific. It's a disease that affects honeybees. Andoni Melithopoulos is one of the leaders of a new effort to learn more about this disease. He is an associate professor in in the Department of Horticulture at Oregon State University. What are the different phases of this study? Well, the first phase is very ambitious. It's a longitudinal survey where we're going to, longitudinal means over time, we're going to go, we have partners at Washington State University, uh, Mississippi State University, and at UC Davis, and we're going to track a thousand colonies, a thousand commercial bee colonies through two years. We're going to track them across time. And at each of those time points, we're going to look for, you know, where is that disease hiding? What, what's, uh, where is it spiking up? When, what is the consequence to the beekeeper of having this disease? And really try to figure out, you know, you know, where is this disease simmering and find out where it's hiding. And then we can start to, um, and where it ramps up so that we can really uh, pinpoint how to uh, work with this disease. 
Um, the Are second there, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, the, go ahead. Nope. Yeah, that's on, it. So, oh, well, um, in terms of, let's say that, that it does crop up, whether yeah. in this study or just in general, are there effective treatments for it? Yeah, that's another part of this project. There, right now, it's a little bit of a shot in the dark. Uh, beekeepers largely have been using uh, antibiotics on prescription. And, you know, they don't want to use antibiotics. They'd rather, um, you know, not put that into their colonies. Uh, How do you give bees antibiotics? Oh, you you just, one by one, they line up and you give them a little tablet. No, it's, <laughs> you have to feed it. There's you had me for like it. a quarter second. <laughs> Roll up your sleeve there, buddy. No, um, no, they, they have, um, you can put it in syrup into the colony and that kind of spreads hmm. it to all the bees and they sort of feed it to the larva where the disease is erupting. Um, and they, you know, the larva have a little bit of a dose inside their bodies that prevent the, well, theoretically prevent the disease from spreading. But beekeepers have been doing this and still have problems. So we either the timing is off or it's really not effective. And so part of this work, um, we have uh, a really good microbiologist, Maud David, uh, um, who's going to be looking at uh, micro uh, um, uh, probiotics, these little microorganism supplements to see if we could just, you know, this bacteria is in the gut of the honeybee larva. And the idea is if, what if you stock that larva with uh, really uh, the bacteria that are really good? You know, we all, all of us have these um, microorganisms in our gut. What if we kind of like stack the deck? Could we displace this bad bacteria from taking hold? So we'll be looking, there's a large project looking at the uh, microorganisms in the bee's guts, uh, trying to characterize uh, how this bacteria may, you know, take hold of it and kind of hijack the gut and take it over. Um, so we'll be looking at that aspect, but also some other, there's some other beekeepers, beekeepers have all sorts of, uh, ideas of how the, where the disease is residing in the colony and where we could snip that away and, uh, maybe, uh, cut the disease cycle. What agricultural sectors are most affected right now by fowl brood? You know, a lot of them are. There's two points to this answer. Are beekeepers in the state of Oregon, you know, they dip out of the state. Um, briefly in January, February to pollinate California almonds, but then they bounce around, you know, they're doing pears in Medford and Hood River, cherries in the Dalles. They'll be doing all of the blueberries and caneberries in the Willamette Valley, Hermiston melons, the South Coast cranberries. So all of these crops depend on this pool of honeybee colonies. What beekeepers have been reporting is that as they come from California into blueberries in the spring, the disease erupts. And so then beekeepers have colonies that are really, you know, um, debilitated and have a hard time of doing those subsequent pollinations that we need here in the Willamette Valley. And and so the repercussions could be, um, you know, much more than what we see on the surface. And Tim Delbridge we, is an economist on our team, and he will be going through and sort of trying to figure out what the overall cost, not only to the beekeepers, beekeepers, but to our agricultural sectors are, um, and kind of working out the economics of this disease. Uh, you know, I'm just imagining these um, these bees being trucked all over the Northwest or down into California. D does that mean that, that there's no way to quarantine bees? That basically you just have to assume that whatever bacteria is is somewhere on the West Coast, it, it's, it's, there's a good chance it's going to get everywhere? That's a great question, Dave. And I, one of the 
cool aspects of this project is we have um, a, a really amazing molecular uh, biologist, uh, Dr. Jeff Chang, and he's going to be looking at the People have looked at the DNA of this bacteria in the past, but he's going to be doing whole genome sequencing, taking the entire DNA of all these kind of samples that we pull out from these commercial beekeepers, these thousand colonies, and answering just that question. What is the linkage between these bacteria? Are they related? Is it one homogenous pool? Or is it kind of these little pockets of uh, really virulent bacteria if we knew that, then we could give the beekeepers much better information and forecasting. You're in an area where there seems to be a highly virulent strain, and you can take action accordingly. The timing here seems to be important. If if this is getting worse and it, it's really affecting um, some colonies and some beekeepers, I imagine they'd like to get better management practices quickly. How quickly can you turn basic science into say, industry-wide recommendations? It, it can be challenging. And what's really wonderful, this project is being led uh, by Dr. Ramesh Sigili, and and there's a whole bunch of other, uh, in California and Washington, of the top apiculture programs. What's great about these programs is that they work really closely with the industry and they've with the beekeeping industry and they have a great track record of solving problems in a timely way. My sense is that we'll come out of this two year uh, this the first two years of following these colonies and we'll really be able to see where these pinch points are. And in the third year, we'll have experiments testing some different treatments at those points. I am an optimistic person, and I think within uh, as the grant comes down, we're going to have some uh, real. Uh, solid recommendations for beekeepers. And Doni, thanks very much. Thank you. And Doni Malathopoulos is an associate professor in the Department of Horticulture at Oregon State University. So much of what we talk about on this show has to do with what's happening right now. But there's a lot of history behind these conversations. OPB's Salmon Wars podcast will give you insights into some of that history. It tells the story of one Yakima Nation family that's been fighting for salmon in the Columbia River across generations. Find Salmon Wars wherever you listen to podcasts.